The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, take a break from your moonwalk lessons and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, announcing show number 494 with guest Chris Sells, recorded live Tuesday, October 13, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says... Go Phillies! Sorry, Forte. Carl Franklin! Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin here in New London, Connecticut. Uh, Richard will be here in a minute for the interview, but first I want to announce the winner of the Dev Connections Contest. This time we did things a little bit different. Instead of having an elaborate series of forms that you have to fill out all sorts of stupid questions... We just uh, asked you for the answer and the email address, your email address. We picked uh, four winners, and out of those four winners, we picked a grand prize winner who's going to Dev Connections. We're paying for your flight, we're paying your hotel, and you're going to Vegas. Hey, you're going to Dev Connections. It's a great deal. Chris Staley, you are the winner. Bravo, bravo, congratulations, and I'll see you, and Richard will see you in uh, Vegas in just a couple of weeks. In the meantime, enjoy this excellent interview we did in Bulgaria with Chris Sells on Data Dude, and I think we talked about Oslo a little bit, but anyway, Chris is a, a great guest, and it's always fun to have him on. Check this interview out. Hey, this is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell, and we're at DevReach in Sofia, Bulgaria. Howdy, sir. Here we are. This is the fourth year of DevReach. Yes, and I love coming to Sofia. It's a wonderful thing, although they are still stuck in the 80s musically. Uh, yes, but it is Atkins land when it comes to the food. It's all meat all the time. It's very true. And um, hmm. 
Yeah, Sahil was saying that he always eats like a pig when he comes here, but he loses weight. Go figure. And that's why the, the people are so trim and svelte here. Yeah, it's a, it's a land of very pretty women. So uh, we kidnapped Chris Sells to come up and talk to us in a, in a quiet room for a, a little bit. Hi, Chris. Hi, guys. So you did the keynote this morning. I did indeed, yes. And uh, we were sleeping. What was, well, I don't know if Richard was sleeping, but I was sleeping. What was the keynote all about? So the keynote um, was uh, uh, actually, it's kind of funny. I, uh, I apologized profusely on stage to the conference um, uh, organizers because I uh, sent my abstracts uh, Sunday. And, uh, you know, that was yesterday. You could be a Microsoft employee, <laughs> couldn't you? Right? What is it with Microsoft people and, like, sitting the abstracts the day before you do the well, talk? Well, to be fair, I sent placeholder abstracts, like, four months ago. Right. And at the time, they were the best that I knew how to give. Right. But we just literally, like, last week um, in Redmond had uh, a big software design review across, you know, uh, the, all the SQL Server and the Oslo developer stuff. Oh, cool! So we gave we had like uh, three days of of talks and hands on labs, and here's where we're going at the PDC. And it was actually, um, you know, after after like all th- all three days, and I, w- I was hanging out with some of the stragglers, and it was Lars Corneliusen who looked at me and he said, "What, well, dude? What's the story?" And I just. I guess it was kind of the immersion because I had been there the whole you time. You brain dumped the whole story. I just, I just, here, let me tell you the story. And I told him the story, and that turned out to be what I really wanted to say, um, both at PDC, you know, on the Oslo and Data Developer right. Centers, and at um, at this conference because it's silly to to tell them an old story. It's silly, silly to tell them old thinking. Right. Um, on the other hand, I can't tell them all the new thinking because we got to keep something for the PDC. So what I did was I told what I thought the right story was on, you know, the current bits. I mean, I'm talking like 2008 and I'm talking about, you know, Dev 10 beta. I mean, that's that's what I try to tell. So them. what is the story? So um, I really think of it as um, uh, two pieces. Piece number one is we want to bring data of all kinds into the development environment. And that's why um, I, I, I recently discovered and fell in love with um, Visual Studio uh, 2008 uh, Developer Edition. And um, I hadn't database seen Database Edition? The, I'm sorry, what did I say? Developer Edition? Yeah, yeah. Developer Edition. Yeah. Yes, and it's the you. edition for database professionals. Uh, and it's, well, actually, can we it's call not it? quite so bad, but we have a special name for it because the name is kind of long. Yeah. We call it the Data Dude. Everybody calls it Data Dude. And right. it's funny. The reason it took me so long to discover it was because of that stupid name. Right? Now the name makes all the sense in the world. But you know, on the RD list and in the hallways, I would hear that. And I'm like... The hell could that possibly mean? And yeah, now I know it's got to be something stupid, right? right? If it's data dude. Well, so now I know the story, right? It, it it data dude is kind of the description of the guy, the person who right, and it covers it. all manner of developers that talk to databases all the way through IT pros, right? And they yeah. wanted to build a tool that would cover all those scenarios, and they just kind of blumped it in one bucket, and that's the data dude, right? The guy who's who's working with the database, and so. Um, and then that name stuck because the, the name of the product was so long and horrible. Yeah. Um, and so then they just called that version of developer studio or visual studio, uh, data dude. And of course that's, imp- that's 
impenetrable for anyone who doesn't know. How could that be right. an addition to Visual yeah. Studio, right? Yeah, and and as its own, we did a show ages ago with uh, Gert Drapers and, yeah, Gert. and Cameron Gert, Skinner. Gert, 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 he was uh, totally there. And I mean, we, yeah, we were, yeah, we and we actually were part of their original announcement, and yeah. you know, we've, and we've done a several shows along the way, but it just doesn't seem to have no grabbed so, on. So it's funny because you know they really shipped that stuff in 2005 with like an add-on, yeah, right? yeah, and then they shipped a whole edition in 2008, yeah. right? And I went to that room today, 500 people. And I said, how many of you have ever heard of the database edition of Visual Studio? One person wow. raised their hand. One. This is, well, arguably four-year-old technology. Only one person had ever even heard I, of it. I kind of think maybe developers might be a little uh, reticent to check it out because they already have great data support, so they think, well, in it's, Visual it's Studio. Crazy. So in Visual Studio, they have – so when I was in uh, college, I learned that there are three basic data models, right? There's graphs right? Just nodes, to, you know, connected to each other in whatever way. And we think of that as object-oriented programming. And that's how we like to program our systems, right? With graphs. Right. And we like to program it in that way because it's really easy to take that data in graphs and you don't have to worry about how it's arranged. It's very loosey-goosey and it's very easy to add behavior. So if, as a programming environment, graphs, objects, fabulous. Okay. That's one. Right. Model number two, trees, right? And XML today is a fabulous um, example of that. And it's really great because XML is a data format that now suddenly we all support on every platform, every device, right? My friggin' watch runs XML, right? It's crazy. <laughs> okay. So, and it's that because of that, that means that I can take an XML document, a well-formed XML document, and it's just human readable enough that like anybody who really wants to get the data can crack it out of there. Right. There's always an XML parser that can always read it well enough and form queries. It doesn't matter what platform you're going to, it can probably consume it in some yes. way. And so for when it comes to when we transfer data in an interoperable way, there's nothing that beats XML, right? So that's how we send data around, right? Yeah. On the other hand, when it comes to storage, right, we keep the important data around for decades, right? Mm. Forever, it's relational data. Right? Right. We keep it in relational databases. And we're using now all three of these forms of data all the time. And I would say that .NET does an excellent – the regular SKUs of .NET and for a long time, right, just professional, plain, even, you know, hell, the um, – Express. Uh, Express mm-hmm. does great with – obviously with, you know, C Sharp and VB.NET and, and, you know, and object orientation. And it does great with XML. It sucks at the relational stuff. And it's only this – this data dude edition that suddenly brings all of that relational schema and shaping and and programming and and solves so many problems when it comes to well, what do you mean when you say it sucks at relational stuff? Well, so when it comes to building the clients, it's professional is fine because we you know we started with ADO.net, which is fine, right? It gets you going, a, a way to put you know SQL into strings and and get data in and out. Um, and, and there's then, millions of other technologies that you can use. That's too. true. And Link to SQL is good too. I really, I'm a huge fan of Link. I love mm-hmm. writing queries, not against, just against databases, but against all my data. Right? right. I use I use Link all the time. And then the Link to Entities is really the the key there. The thing that really sells me on that technology is that I can do a different mapping on the like on the client. The app gets to say, here's how I want to think about my data, and if I want to add. Um, uh, inheritance in my data on the client side, even though you know it doesn't exist on the server side, I can do that because that makes sense to me. And I can control the mapping. And um, EDM allows the data model that provides for that. It's fabulous. And then Entity Framework allows me to get the, the classes out of it. So now I have, from a client side... Great access to the data. So I'm a huge fan of it. Sounds framework. like relational data doesn't suck. Ah, it sucks on the server side. 
Uh-huh. Right. When okay. it comes to managing the schema for the shape of the data itself, that's where it sucks. And that's where data dude, see, now I'm using the damn term. Right. That's where data As dude well really should. shines. That's where it really shines, right? Because I can just walk up to a database and say, suck it in. And I get all the .SQL files for all the tables and all the triggers and all the sort procedures and all of that. And not only can I just do it in text. But I also get the logical view, the object view, just like I get in uh, SQL Server Management Studio. And I can right-click and, and change things and refactor and rename things. And it'll go through everything and rename things. And I can compile and collaborate and check it into source code control and get it all the way I want it before I even go and touch a database. And then when I go and touch the database, I don't have to worry about you know what version of the script am I and what version is the database and, and have you know 27 you know, migration um, scripts, right, and apply them properly. Freaking data dude will just look at the database schema and say, okay, I've sucked all that down. I already understand here. I'll create the diff. And then I will just build the minimum script to get the database, the wherever it is, into the one you want, preserving the data along the way. It is a thing of beauty. And I showed that to people today, and they were, they were blown away. They start sobbing in the aisles. Cause well, I've been the DBA, and where you live with this mechanism of how do I determine what version of the database right. this machine right. has. And none of those versioning techniques work. They just don't. They're very unreliable. That's right. So let me get this straight. So you're saying that you can take an existing database and just make a new look of it or make a copy of it or a reference of it that looks like what you want? So, so what you do – so like today, I was playing around with Northwind, right? So I just imported Northwind, and I said, aha – now I've got all Northwind and I can make whatever changes I want and compile it and check to make sure it's all, you know, um, uh, valid SQL and it all hangs together, right? So I could make changes and add stuff and I could do that all day long and, and refactor and rename stuff and it would go through all my triggers and views and whatever and make all that work, right? My foreign keys, whatever, okay? And, and, the, and to Carl's point, you're not actually touching the database I'm this not point. touching the you're database. You're messing with the model. I'm mus- messing with the model that I have sucked out. And the beauty of the way it works is it uses like create statements because SQL is an imperative language, right? right? I do this. I do that. I do an alter here. I do a drop this. I do an insert there. It's imperative, right? And you have to do it in the right order. Or otherwise, it doesn't work. It right. doesn't even compile, right? But with DataDude, I can just pull all of that down and they're like, class statements at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Create table becomes a declarative statement that says, I want a table named this with these columns and, you know, these constraints on those columns. Oh, and by the way, over here, right here, are the triggers associated with that and here are the views and, and data dude will just, whatever you walk up to the database, it could be empty, in which case it will just string it all together to make sure all the dependencies are met, right? Or it could work. When I was making changes to Northwind, like I renamed one of the tables and I added some 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 uh, columns, it walked up to the thing and he said, oh, okay, well, I have to rename this table, this table, and I have to do an alter table. Oh, and you forgot to give me a default, but you made it non-null, so that's an error, so now give me the default value, and then I'll go back and do it again. And it was just, it was like, you know, a rename table, it was an alter table, it was the minimum script it needed to get the database from where it was in the world. Mm-hmm. To where it needed to be, according to the, your declarative model, and preserving the data along the way. Oh, it was, uh, uh. it's, it's awesome. awesome. It really is. I'm so impressed. There's a couple of things that I really dig about that. One is the idea that I only ever deal with the create statements. It figures out the statements right. in between. Right, right. You don't have to deal with drop or insert or rename or alter. Right. You just say declaratively, this is what I want. Well, the experience I had in rolling out database updates. Uh, I'm dealing with like a salesperson's app. So here I've got a thousand laptops in the field. Mm-hmm. Each have their own copy of SQL Express with some database on it. We're making an alteration to that. And I know from experience, 800 of them will work the first try. 
and 200 of them won't. Sure. And of those 200, about 150 will, there'll be some trick we can do and get those going. And you sort of get down and there'll be the last 10 right. over a month right. that are just screwed up. And right. I have to have, bring them in, strip them and rebuild them to get yep. them to work yep, right. Yep, yep. And it was every single time we did an update, we knew. But so well, here's the beauty of this. So this is all interactive and I can do it all with, you know, right click in Visual Studio and say deploy and it builds all the scripts and just does things. Um, so, you know, that's the beauty if you're using Visual Studio and you're doing the interactive development process, right? And that's, you know, you do it to a local shared server between the devs or you do it to your own box or whatever, right? And then what you can do is you can take the description of your database, all that schema, and you can plop it with the, a command line version of that migration tool right. onto a friggin' thumb drive or email it in a friggin' message with, with a zip file or whatever. And then you can start migrating whatever you want. So you could just, you know, have build a little MSI that just executed right. that friggin' thing and it would just upgrade all those databases in the field and you wouldn't have to do a damn thing. Well and the, and the that script, the the model is now part of the source code control for that given yeah. version of the app. Yeah, 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 which yeah. means I can also go backwards. You bet. I Absolutely. should be able to roll back. If you put it you can put it all in source code control. You can um, label it and you can say this is version one, version two, version three, and you just pull it out anytime you want. And when you roll back a data the database, it figures out how to preserve the data. Absolutely. We were talking about this last night, actually. Right. One of the it things, won't yes. trash columns. So say you move from version 2 to version 3, and version 3 adds a new column. Right. You then revert. It won't remove the column. But it won't be accessible, but it won't remove it. Well, the code, yeah. I mean, the whole thing about databases is that if this is an extra column there, it'll just ignore it. But the, it's so cautious with the data, it that won't delete. dare remove something. Right. And so that's Bravo. 2008. I don't know if there's a way to override that in, in Dev 10. And mm-hmm. we're still developing Dev yeah, 10. Yeah, I mean, right? it's, it's still going on. But I mean, and you brought this up. There's, there's the whole post thing where you yeah. could, yep. you yep. could yep. yourself choose to say, oh, yeah, go ahead, destroy that column. And, but the tool's not going to do it automatically and for in you, the old just days, for safety's sake. In the old days, we weren't supporting everything in that, that pre and post SQL. It was pretty important, right? Because there was some stuff that we just didn't handle. Right. You had to write yourself. Now we handle everything. So the pre and post, hopefully, you don't need to use at all. The other thing, I saw Brian Randall at TechEd talking about Data Dude, and he turned, he built a, a DVD that was bootable and would simply go find the database and update it. Nice. Right? And, it, and, it, and you're right, the, all of the code, everything it needed to figure that yep. out, it, yep. all that's on that DVD is what the database should look like. That's right. And, and the command line that will do the do, do the work. And then, yeah. Well, one of the points he's made is, what if you had a damaged database where no script would fix it mm-hmm. because you never, it's in a unique state. Somebody's accidentally dropped a table or something stupid's happened. This tool would figure it out because yeah. it's just looking at what yeah, have I yeah. got? Even if it where was marked, even be? if you had the versioning thing and you were vigilant and yeah. uh, and you had it all perfect and something happened, you, you were you're screwed, right? There's you nothing you can't, do. You can't do it. And yeah. so the the you know the common technique, but without the versioning, is kind of if exists, yeah, blah blah blah, and and that works on tables or you know big objects, but doesn't work on fields. Doesn't work. You can't say if this field and this thing exists or, and I mean it, it just doesn't work. No. It, 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 it's not granular enough, right. right? I mean, any validation, any way of checking a version just by, does yeah. this column exist? Well, we only did that column of this version, so that's it. I mean, I've yeah. done all that. Right. It's fine as long as everything's perfect. It works 80% of the time. Yeah. When it doesn't work, you're really screwed up. Right. Like you're in a lot of pain. So the fact that it doesn't even try and figure it out in advance. Right. It figures it out for that yeah, database said, at that time. Right now, this database is in this state. I need to do this to make it in the state I want. So. So this is really targeted towards DBAs. How much programming does a DBA have to learn in order to use DataDude effectively? Oh, so so that's an interesting thing. It turns out that there, it's all command line, right? So um, if you wanted to just 
Well, the deployment is all the command okay. line. If you just wanted to pull it into Visual Studio and just program T-SQL in a database project, you would never have to write a line of any other code. So if they're a DBA, they know SQL, they're well, good. So if I'm a DBA, why not? So I'm really using this as an admin tool right? and not as a programming environment right. at all. Right. And in fact, even if you're a developer, you're using it as an admin tool, right? Because you've got a database project that pulls all that stuff in and you're you know, deciding on the shape of the data in the database. So really when we say this is for the data dude, it's for the programmer who's also the data, the DBA. And it's that's, really why, they, that's DBA. why they call it the data dude, right? Who's ever does the data stuff. But putting on my IT hat, okay, now I'm a hardcore DBA. Right. I'm the guy with the sign on the door that says, no, any questions? Right. The guy, he won't run data dude, right? I mean, just accepting reality. This guy's not going to run data dude. He's a script guy. That's all there is to it. Uh, the the data dude guy, the, the developer guy who's comfortable with databases can use this tool to generate. You can use that uh, widget and actually spit out the change script. Oh, absolutely. And then give that you to bet. your hard ass. You bet. And say, say, here's what the changes I think you want to make. Right. I've written them out in the form you like. You can log them because, hey, if I'm living in like a SOX environment or any of those you things, bet. I need totally. logs of every change I need to you make. Bet. There's the change file. Yep. And, oh, if you want, just run it. Right. It's perfect. The machine figured it out. You right. can just let it. So the main thing is that you can have that handoff. And just oh, go yeah. to that guy and say, use a tool of your request. You Here is a text file of the changes I think the database needs to make it work. You bet. That's totally right. Uh, we started off talking about Oslo a little bit and how, uh, how this is going to work with data. How does, how does Oslo work with data? What does it do for us? So, um, so that's interesting. So, T-SQL is really great for, for the people who like T-SQL. Right. And in fact, um, with DataDude, it, makes, it takes a lot of the, the problems out of SQL. One of the, the things I really hate about SQL is, again, it's the imperative nature. Mm -hmm. right? That you have to get everything in the right order and you have to do this after you do that. And, and uh, it was just, it was always a lot of trial and error. Mm -hmm. It was like C or C++ programming, which, yeah. you know, that part I Calm. found annoying. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and they, t they, they just arrange it for you. They, they put it all in separate files. They put it all together just like it was C-sharp. It's like an Old Testament God, God. Lots of rules and no mercy. <laughs> yes. But whereas with Datitude, you know, it's the New Testament, right? It's yeah, all right. happiness and sunshine. Everything is love. <laughs> Very much. Datitude is love. Absolutely. Oh, well. <laughs> yes. So Oslo. So, so um, M is also uh, uh, a data schema language, right? It, you can think of it as the, the DDL part of SQL, right? The, the data definition uh, language. And it's for building values, right? It's a structural type system. So you can just define values and graphs of values. It, it does graphs. And you can walk up to a database and shove those values in if you like that form of doing values. So one of the things that's really nice is that I love about M is because it lets me do graphs, I can um, I can just put labels on data values and just refer to them elsewhere, and I don't mm. have to worry about the freaking IDs or right. where they come from, right? I can just say, put this in here, and whatever the primary key is, M will just figure it out. It's great. So I'm a huge fan there. And the ordering, it's like C-sharp, C right? It'll, as long as it's all part of the you know same compilation episode, it doesn't matter the order you do things in, whatever is convenient for you. So data like for that. the rest of the world. Well, it's funny, but... Um, you know, you, you made the point, right? The, no uh, DB administrator is really going to use DataDude. And you know what? It's Visual Studio. It's for developers. Right. Right? And so it gives them this set of tools they, they just didn't have before, yeah. which I find to be fabulous. Well, they get to be first-class citizens in the the source control project right. management world, which is why I think they should use it. Right. I, and, I, and I'm just to be fair, 
I said that because I, I mean, I know those DBAs, right, those right, right, hardcore right, right, right. DBAs yeah, yeah, yeah. that are just some will absolutely, yeah. but there's going to be some that will never do it, and that's okay. We support them too. Yeah, but it's really about the developer, and so the developers, some of them like T-SQL, and some mm-hmm. of them don't. Mm-hmm. And for those that don't, M is much more kind of modern C sharpish. Svebish kind of language with with those kinds of features. But you're implying to me then, and if I'm happy with T SQL, I don't need to think about M. Well, actually, um, you know what? I, there's a lot of merit to that. Absolutely, and okay. in fact, there's absolutely nothing wrong with T SQL. We love T SQL. We are going to be doing T SQL from now until the end of time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we have tools like Data Dude who aren't aren't going anywhere anytime soon. And so, you know, T SQL is great, huge fan, and you know, uh, it's easy to say that IT pros aren't data. Uh, aren't uh, programmers, but, you know, look at views, right? Look at stored procs, right? right. They are programmers. They T-SQL is a Turing-complete programming language. So right? when you say M, you're talking about M schema? Okay, so define... so we used to, in the old days, kind of have um, two compilers and three parts of the languages. Okay. And they were kind of different languages, and those are all, they've been going through a merger for a while. And so we don't think of it as M schema or M value or M grammar, which is how we used to talk right. about it. We think of M as defining values, types, and languages. Oh, all right. So, and, you know, eventually, uh, I'm not sure what the PDC drop will do, but I'll have one compiler and one um, file extension and just, you know, one set of tools, and I'll be able to mix and match all of them in, you know, a, a compilation episode all at once. And it still figures out, like, one of the one of the coolest things I saw was just pulling up Notepad and, and writing some sentences. Ah. And, and it was able to parse that and turn that into schema. And then actually take values. the values, yes. The, yes. both derive the schema and the values, and it does. Poof, you've got yes. a database. Yeah, it's actually um, that's the the talk I gave this afternoon. I started in IntelliPad, which has this right. nice three pane mode, and I just started. Uh, I typed a sentence because um, we were talking about um, you know different ways to describe applications and definitions of applications. Yeah, and we had a little schema in prose that said well, contacts have a name and an age and optional phone number and and some friends and the name has these constraints and the age has and those just, constraints that's english You're right just and typing in english so so it, the specification was in english yeah. and so i went to intellipad and i just typed a sentence that somebody typing in english so i said um sean wildermuth was in the audience and i said sean is 40 uh 40 years old and uh, is at, and then I put his phone number. I didn't put his actual phone number, but I put a phone number in there, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, so do you think that you could have domain experts in the area of content management look at this data and validate if it's true? Mm-hmm. And they could say, oh, that Sean's not 40, he's 41, or that's not his phone number, right? right. You could yeah. suddenly, because so- software right. engineers are domain experts in right. software engineering, right? So domain experts know their field, and there's always communication problems between the two, right? They tell us our their requirements, and we write it down in a document, and we hold it up to them, and they go, uh-huh, sure, whatever, right? I don't understand those UML diagrams right, or exactly. all that precise language, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's your job, right? You show me this. You let me run the app, and I'll complain after you build it, right? <laughs> that's that's the – and that's fair, right? They're not domain experts. That's true. We are. That's true. So if we can get them to participate and look at the data that's input in the system that actually drives our system and validate or even write it, that's huge for us because then that breaks down the communication barriers between us and them. So now, that's a big deal. Now, when you have to, when you when you wrote that, Sean is forty one years old and is at. You had previously entered some sentences like, "I want to store somebody's age, years old." No, no, no. That was just a, or... a spec I put on a slide to oh, say this is a, a, a verbal description of the system, 
right? And so what I did was I took a sentence that met those requirements in terms of data that we wanted to enter in the system. Yeah. And then I went to the middle pane of iPad and I just typed the language definition. And okay. in about a dozen Which is, lines, you know, age and no. What I said was um, I typed in patterns. Right. Okay. I said we're looking for lines that match this pattern, and the pattern is name, um, you know, followed by is, followed by number, followed by years, years old, old, followed by phone number. Right. I mean, okay. So I I was doing pattern matching. Okay. And then a name was these letters, these number of you know uppercase and lowercase letters and you know and ages numbers right. and etc right so, so now you would essentially give intellipad to somebody who has the data and say here type these in so so, so there's a couple to... of things you could do you could because intellipad absolutely works like that right it, yeah. it takes the free form text um and then it runs it through the grammar and then it gives you output mm-hmm. on the right hand side and it shows you a text dump of output on the right hand side and then that's programmable information right i can i yeah. can run c sharp against that and and get regular data I can dump it as XML and do whatever I want with it there. I can t- translate it directly into the database with SQL and never write another line of code. All yeah. I wrote was that little grammar in the middle. And so there's a couple of things I could do. One, I could absolutely give people IntelliPad, but that's a developer tool. Sure. Right? There are, there's already a third-party application that is syntax-highlighted editing driven by Amgrammar files. Wow. So you could actually embed <laughs> that little piece of IntelliPad. I mean, the, his ActaPro has this syntax editor that does this. Essentially like Visual Studio for your, for your dynamic Yeah, and essentially language. you could say, type Domain the data in language. here. Here's the description of the format. And do the red, red squigglies and the, and the completions. And it's all driven by that grammar. And they will make sure it's right before you do anything with it. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And then you could just take that data and run it through the rest of the mTool chain. And boom, it shows up as data in your database. And you run your programs against it. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik, who bring you the Telerik extensions for ASP.NET MVC. The extensions bring rich UIs to your MVC application. These are just announced, and this time they're not standard web forms controls tailored for MVC, but native, built-from-the-ground-up MVC components. There's three important things to remember. One, they're pure ASP.NET MVC components. Two, they're based on jQuery. And third, and this is the best part, they're completely open source. Just go to www.telerik.com MVC for more information and online demos. Make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So um, domain-specific languages, all usually your language in, in any program is working with data. But what about things that work with processes instead of data? So you're talking about things like workflow? Yeah. So as it turns out, everything is just data at the bottom. So, for example, if you go to the workflow designer mm-hmm. you are, uh, and you have the boxes and lines and decisions and you know all of that stuff – um, sometimes you'll have little bits of code behind, but mostly what you'll have is just a declarative description of how I want to hook pieces up to do the work for me. Yes. And if you look at the code behind, it's just XAML. It's just a declarative um, uh, creation of that XAML, mm. um, which you know shows the the workflow. So it's just data, right? If you can describe it in XAML, you could definitely drop it into a database, right? right? In fact, we've even played around with going back and forth between XML and, and M, and as soon as you get to M, right, you can get to SQL and boom, it's in your database. And if you can drive, you know, the workflow um, engine with XAML data, you can definitely drive it with SQL data. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, right? It's the yeah. same thing. It's just data. And so there's no reason you can't describe processes, mm-hmm. rules, mm-hmm. workflow, um, 
business logic conditional, with data. Conditional oh, branching yeah, all and of all that stuff. All of that's built right into workflow. It's yeah. already there. Yeah, and in fact, right. for a while, we um, when it was kind of big Oslo and it included you know Dublin and WCF and WF and Oslo was just everything to everybody. We actually had versions of the workflow engine that would read stuff from the database and drive it from there. So, so give us the rundown of what Oslo is today from the last time we talked about it. Uh, when was the last that time? Was so, it's been that a while. was right, you know, right after PDC. Oh, was it? Okay. So at the time, um, we were telling the story and, you know, up on the website, we're still telling the story and Oslo is still this. Um, you know, it's, it's really three things. It's, um, it's the language for de- uh, describing data and the shapes of data, uh, M. Mm-hmm. It's the tool quadrant for for visually um, viewing and manipulating data in lots of rich formats and and extensible. and entering data as well. Right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And it's the repository, which is where we keep the data. And the repository is um, we don't require the a repository is kind of where we add a bunch of tables and a bunch of stored procs and a bunch of core services. Right, we SQL. Uh, it's all it's all SQL Server, right? Yeah. Oh, so repository is like the default name of the database mm. and a bunch of stuff we pre-populate it with mm. for you. But we by no means require the repository for M to work. Mm. Okay. But, but it's a bunch of special services. And so we, we ship some some prepackaged domains. We ship the CLR domain, the UML domain, the entity domain, which are a set of types that we build tools around. Um, that you can use in your own stuff. And those are the things that are in the repository. Those are the things that are in the repository, and the, and the, along with some core services too, like some support for um, uh, uh, horizontally partitioning data. We mm-hmm. call them folders, but right. yeah. The CLR domain. Yes. So tell me about that. The CLR that domain, is, we're intrigued. modeling the CLR, the constructs of the CLR, uh, assemblies and modules and classes and methods and properties and events and the whole bit. And we provide a tool that you can give it a group of assemblies, and it will go through and take all of that metadata and load it into the, sem- into the SQL database, into the repository. And that gives you a new language? Uh, no, no, no. It gives you the ability to run SQL queries over that data. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah, sure. And then you can do the exact same thing. We, take, we allow you to take XMI files from various tools that do um, UML design. You can export to XMI, which is the XML dialect for describing the text version of UML. Because UML is a, is a graphical language, yeah. right? So this yeah. is the text version. And we, will, we can import that in the repository. And we have modeled sequences and classes nice. and methods and blah. And, of course, you can manipulate and of course, you with, can manipulate all of that as well. And yeah. that's that one's actually really huge in the enterprise because yeah, they've been doing a ton of UML. And the diagrams are really great for some things, but to be able to write programs and do selects and just you know start joining this stuff together. And and what if you want to join your UML data with your C sharp data? Right now, you got to find a query language that works across XMI files and C sharp metadata, as opposed to loading it into the repository. And we have the query language that works. It's called SQL, hmm. and it works like a charm. So how does this eventually intersect with Studio? Ah, Visual Studio? Yeah. We have always, since the first CTP, had language services in Visual Studio, and we've made those language services better and better. The exact same language services for syntax highlighting and statement completion and and IntelliSense in iPad is the exact same language service we have in both Visual Studio 2008 and Dev10. So it's there. So what, what does it look like? I mean, what, what does it look like in, within the context of a C-sharp so, app? So, um, so what you do is, is today you, we have a, uh, an M project. So you can just say, I want a new M project, and then you put your M in there. And when you build, it will compile and validate and make sure it's all right, very much like DataDude does for SQL Server. 
Um, and then it will produce two things. It will pr produce SQL output so you can look. And then it will produce a, uh, an image, an MX file. Um, and the packaging is probably going to change at the PTC, but it's still going to be the same thing, which is that MX file is all this kind of pre-compiled um, SQL. And then you can take that MX file and deploy it. It's kind of like a DAC pack for your databases, right? Deploying databases into a DAC pack. We do this with M into um, MX files. And then you can take that along with a com command line we provide, stick it on a thumb drive and bring it to wherever and create the database. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like this is the tool you use early in the application development to sort of get the data structures in place and get a picture of what the app's going to be like. So, it, I mean, it almost like feels like the architect's edition of, of studio you know you're at the or the maybe the requirements gathering section of studio that would ha it would start us out and then we sort of hand off into the main body of studio development so so it's interesting so i uh well we think of m so two things that are happening one you know you might think of m as well gosh you already you were talking in the keynote this morning about this other data modeling language called edm what's the deal there um, and and the, the deal there is that we're busy aligning EDM and M, and we don't know what that's going to look like okay. yet, but we're working, right? Uh, Microsoft does this all the time, right? Builds all kinds of technologies and comes back together and reduces them and makes sure you get the best. And EDM is part of EF, right? EDM is the underlying data model that drives both the entity framework and Astoria. Right, right. Yeah. The entity data model, right? The entity data model, yes. Yeah. And so we're busy aligning M and EDM so that you, you won't have to deal with both. We'll, we'll figure out a way to make sure you get to deal with one. But back to your question about, well, you know, is M where you start and then you move to SQL after that? So um, that's kind of interesting. Um, SQL is all-powerful, right? Anything you can do with SQL, with SQL Server, right, you pretty much can do with SQL, just, just everything. Mm -hmm. And M is, is much more the, the, the data description language and, and um, inserts, essentially. Well, and like Carl described, this is the tool I can hand to domain experts who are not software experts. Well, if it happens to be language parsing, absolutely. Right. But there's a lot more to M than that, right? There's the, the, the I can define types, which are... Uh, groups of constraints and mm -hmm. storages, and those map directly to create table statements and create view statements. Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out how it, how it would so fit into an application. Is, so, so you can think of uh, this is the way uh, I like to think about it. You can think of M is to SQL as VB is to C plus plus. The idea is just enabling a lot more people to be able to define the data model of their application. Without having to learn all the power and glory that is. So you create an M project and that would turn into an assembly, would it? Uh, and, well, and something we that call it an image, but it's, it's the M equivalent of a .NET assembly. So how does yes. that interact with a, a business app, let's say? Ah, so the, the, that, well, then that creates um, schema and values in a database. Okay. And then once it's in the database, it's just SQL. So you can use Entity Framework to get it back out again. All right. Right. So I'm I'm trying to I'm still trying to think of M as being uh, a domain specific language for so for programming data. Uh, In fact, M itself, the values and the types part of M, is a DSL for simpler uh, uh, schema and value. Right. Uh, we were also talking before about using M to develop your own DSL yes. in your domain. So, right. So we pa we prepackage one for data modeling. Yeah which is two-thirds of M. And okay. then we also package one for defining your own custom DSLs, which is one-third of M, the language definition part. And, and if, let's say, we've 
we've done that. Does that show up as a language in Visual Studio in and of itself? Do I program that like I would program C Sharp? Or ah, is it something that you run as a script and then compile? Or So that's a good question. So as it turns out, the, the, the life cycle of an instance of a DSL language, yeah. I mean, today in the keynote, or not in the keynote, in my, in my second talk, I created the context language, right? Which was, you know, name is, yeah. you know, age, years old, blah, 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 phone number, right? right. That, that's a whole new language. And in fact, when I saved an instance of the data in that format, I called it a dot .context file, yeah. right? Because I had just created a brand new language. I had a parser for it, right. and I had a way to process that language. And we provide tools but for developing that and for processing that. But, yeah. what, but where we stop um, is um, we don't give you the thing you need to build the back end of the compiler. right? We will get right. it from text, freeform text, into data. And whatever you do with that data is up to you. And if you want to generate XML, we'll help. If you want to generate SQL, we'll do that, right? But if you want to do anything else, like build the rest of a compiler, that's up to you. Let's say, and by the way, that's how we build the M compiler ourselves. Yeah, we have, but we have a lot of other stuff that we built. I can really see this being useful for middle tier business rules processing. You bet. Like, yeah, I, like I've got a financial system. I got a financial system, and I've got all these different entities and mortgages and things out there in sure. this database. There's sure. just tons of stuff. And then you've got data coming in and you want to put in a rule that says if certain value sure. is this and certain thing is that. Now you're talking about using it like a language like you would use you C bet. Sharp for. And in fact, you could do two things to implement that rule, right? Yeah. One thing is you could describe it to a developer and he would write it in C Sharp and right. install it and compile it and test it, right? Another thing you could do is you could work with the developer to talk to him about the kinds of things that you would like to say about rules right. and kind of give him, let me write it down this way and this way and he can say, okay, what if we did it this way? Let me build the grammar for that. Right. You build a grammar. And then I'll let you have a little file that lets That's you describe right. the rules. And then we'll load that data into the database and we'll build a runtime that uses that data to, to validate the rules, to execute totally. the rules as it happens. But the implementation of the rules would actually be in T-SQL. It would be constraints and maybe triggers, that kind of thing. So the implementation of the rules um, would be a runtime that reads the data from the database and interprets those rules. And Just like if it was a workflow, it would read the description of the workflow into memory and then create the objects that actually does the Just like if you had a VB or C-sharp app looking at entities and looking at their values and doing if statements and... Absolutely. That's exactly the kind of thing we have. Yeah. And so that would compile as, uh, as an assembly as part of your, uh, you know, as a logical tier in your application? So, so when you define the, the language definition, then what you do is you can uh, add it to the project and compile it in as a resource, mm. load that resource up at runtime, mm -hmm. and then take those rules at runtime and get them directly from the text and interpret them that way and use that to drive your interpreter to make sure those rules are executed. Or the other thing you can do is do it at compile time and you just deploy the data directly into the database. I see. And then read the rules, the, which rules we want out of the database. And we provide yeah. the flexibility to do either. That's interesting. You so that either. So the, the rules are in, could be in the database. And the nice thing That's about really the rules neat. being in the database is the more data you push into the database. See, the, the thing mm. that, um, that I've been noticing is that apps come and go, right? The code right. comes and go. Right. And, you know, yesterday we were writing everything in <laughs> C++ and we thought we were cool. And today we're writing everything in C Sharp and we think we're cool. Right, but data is forever. Right, we'll be writing everything in JavaScript or whatever we pick right. next. Right, F sharp or whatever. I don't Ruby know. Ruby sharp. But that freaking database lives for 
yep. decades. It's yep. forever. It's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but we've decided that that is the way we store everything. And we've just got so much momentum and services and backup infrastructure and whole people, right? When's the last time you heard of an XML administrator, <laughs> right? That doesn't happen. Yep. But we've got DB administrators. Yes. We've got a whole infrastructure for making that data stick around yeah. forever. The care and feeding a database. That's right. And you know what? I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? This is these this data is the crown jewels of the business, right? right? And so you, to your point, like I said, apps can come and go, but as right. long as everything's in the database, that's right. And so the more you can push in the database, the more you can carry forward, right. and the less you have to rewrite. You know, when you get some new CTO who likes you know, uh, Java instead of C-sharp or, or whatever, yeah. right? Whatever the thing is. Or, or migrating over to WPF. I mean, any oh, of sure. those sorts of things. You bet, you bet. The more that's outside of the old app, the That's better. right. I just that's love right. the idea of writing a grammar and then giving an IntelliPad or something like that to a domain expert who doesn't know anything about programming, who can just go home over the weekend and write the rules. And essentially that becomes part of your app. Right, and yeah, and in fact, that is the, the huge... Um, Hope for for domain specific languages. And by the way, we didn't invent domain specific languages, right? I mean, uh, one of the things I was talking about um, in my talk today was, you know, Donald Knuth invented a language so he could write his books, right? LaTeX, and he would write his books in LaTeX because none of the word processors gave him um, enough control over the output to make it camera ready, so that he could take it to the publisher and say, "Print me a gajillion copies of these." So he wrote LaTeX, and this was back in the days. Word processors just don't do it for him. So. No, and in fact, to this day, word processors don't do it to him. Word still doesn't do this. Right. Right? You don't have enough control over Word to make it do this. You, that's why you have Quark and 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 uh, other you know desktop publishing tools. And mm-hmm. that's actually a huge pain for me because whenever they do the translation, I got to read through it all and see what mistakes they made. And they always do, mm-hmm. right? It's just the tool translation. But anyway. So Knuth wrote this um, language so he could write his stuff. And it wasn't WYSIWYG. It was descriptive. So he wanted a picture. So he had a little embedded you know, mini language. Um, uh, they called them little languages in those days. Hmm. It was just called PIC where he would say, I want a box and it's this big and it's, you know, I want it in this part of the page and I want this stuff in it. And he would just do everything in that format. And it didn't look a thing like what it came out. Hmm. But, but then the beauty is, and this was in the you know seventies, eighties, right? So he would point it at a printer, and he would build printer drivers that would translate LaTeX into HP or Xerox this guy's or got whatever. Way too much time, and on it would. Hands. You know, I mean, this was when you were driving printers by printer commands, right? Right. I actually wrote software that did this when I was in high I, school because I, I wanted my, you know, I needed uppercase and lowercase and bold and italics, and I had to write out the freaking control characters. Sure. And that's what he did, and he, he built the infrastructure in this language, and lots of people could build interpreters for this language and pointed at new. Print- and this stuff lives on to this day. And it's still one of the best ways to get full control over what actually comes out mm-hmm. on the piece of paper. It's amazing. And so, I mean, we didn't invent this. We yeah. absolutely didn't. Yeah. All we did was look and say, you know what? Gosh, we um, worked hard to make the tools for building our own compiler uh, as simple as possible. Maybe we could share this with our customers and they could find some value out in it. And it's a good thing you did. Hey, I want to uh, turn the uh, discussion to a very popular hot topic uh, on .NET Rocks lately. We went to uh, DevLink and did in, in Nashville uh, recently and did a panel discussion. The topic was, has software development become too complex? And specifically, you know, Microsoft software development, has it gotten too complex? There's a lot of people out there who are just feeling overwhelmed. Uh, by all the different choices they have. And um, 
the technology itself, you know, there's so many different choices, number one, but number two, the technology itself is that more or less complex now than it ever was is, you know, and, and we just touched on a nerve that everybody seems to want to comment on. Uh, we got tons and tons of email, way more than we read on the air. And uh, so I'm thinking this topic has uh, is not done and pro- will probably never be done. So I want to hear what you have to say on this. So I, I think that's hilarious that this has come up. Um, because what it sounds like to me is Americans complaining that they're fat, right? <laughs> Every other country in the world is starving. I mean, obviously, there are plenty of countries that aren't. But the the, problems, the countries that have problems with the food, right, they, they don't have enough, right? right? Right. Here in the United States, we are have so much food that we're complaining because we're fat. Because we right. can't put down the friggin' fork, right? <laughs> And, you know, I'm not pointing any fingers, right? I like to lift the fork as much as anybody, right? We're all right? inside a glass house today. Yeah, yeah but, absolutely. But that's what it sounds like. Wasn't there some story in the news about some woman who sued McDonald's or something because it made her obese? Uh, there was, absolutely. And, yeah. of course, that – well, so so obviously, right? Yeah. I mean, for us to have this problem of too much food, right, that's not a problem – that we, well, I mean, we're doing it to ourselves, right? Right. And so now, having said that, right, I'm overweight, just like you know anyone with my sedentary lifestyle is, and I try to exercise and I try to eat right, and sometimes I do and sometimes I don't, and whatever, right? And you know, the the culture of America has been, I mean, it it is hard. It really is to maintain your weight in this abundance of food, and certainly it's a better problem to have than starving, but still, it's a problem. Your analogy is there's so much good technology out there so, that so here's the here's but, the but engineering the, problem. But yes, but, yes, yes, but 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 when you choose food A over food B, your you know people don't lose their jobs. You know, like the decisions that we make. Well, so this is the so this is a basic engineering problem at the, the front the, end of the so process. So engineers, I mean, right now we just have an uh, such a number of technologies that we can really solve. Any problem we want to. Right. And in whatever technologies we solve, I mean, you know, in the old days, if we had a problem with our technology, we'd, we'd pour over the documentation for weeks or, you know, try things and buy books and go to classes. Now, I, you know, I can't remember the last time I went 24 hours without a technical problem solved with the internet or my blog right. or Twitter or whatever, right? It's just, we have an embarrassment of technology and knowledge. The problem is because it's so much that no reasonable uh, programmer can know it all well enough to be able to weigh the pros and cons and to pick the right tool for the right job. Right. They just there's too much. You have to narrow it down, and that bugs us. Right. The idea that we can't take all the relevant data in to make the right decision is so anti-engineering. It doesn't. It's not nice. But this right? paradox of choice problem. The amount of time it'll take you to make the decision. Right. It is longer than it would take to just, to just pick something yeah. and go and and build something that's good enough. During this discussion, somebody came up to the microphone and said, "With all these other technologies, the Lamp Stack and you know all these other great things and Linux or whatever." I can pull up a notepad, you know, and write some code and go to a command line and spit it out. And with Microsoft, I have to do all this Visual Studio and this stuff. And, of course, yeah, that's you're shaking true. your head. You can use you're notepad shaking your you head just compiler. Like, but well, why that, the hell would you? That's what I said. I said that's exactly what I right. said. I said, you know, you can use the, com- the command line compilers. You can, you know, just right. go to a Don Box demo. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
using the command line to you know uh, give his presentations, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, his boxes, there is no right? Visual Studio in that world, so right. you don't. It's just that nobody is. There isn't any information out there on the internet for how to get the most out of your command line compiler. Yes, there is. Actually, there is a lot of information, and it's all about using a shell that wraps the command line compiler called Visual Studio. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, you know what I'm saying. So for some, in other words, the focus of education in our business isn't geared towards the notepad developer. Well, that's a good thing, right? Because yeah. um, I, I couldn't stand up in front of a classroom or, or at a conference talk with a straight face and say, um, you know, this is the most productive way for you to write your code. It's just not. I mean, the tools do so much. I mean, I was blown away learning about DataDude and this whole beautiful tool set that I never knew it existed. And I got to share it with 500 other developers that never knew it existed right. today. I mean, that was that was magic, right? To find something this fabulous. And I, I mean, I just, I think, well, I mean, the fact that it's not in professional, right? And that there's no Visual Studio 2008 Everything in the kitchen sink, right? All the features roll into one, right? I mean, the, 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 uh, I mean, the, the getting the database edition on your box, I'm sure it costs yeah. more and it's above somebody's budget. Well, that and- was one of the other things was the, the, the versioning of, of tools and service packs and everything. Iterations of tools have come out at a much more heck, you know, sure. faster pace yep, recently right. in the last, yeah. you know, I don't well, know three or four years. It's increasing. And it's increasing. So that, changes so increasing. that means when you want to, when I sit down and I want to learn how to write a Silverlight application, sure, you know, I have to choose the latest build of this service pack and this thing and all yep. that. And there isn't one real place, even in Visual Studio, where I can say, I want to build a Silverlight app. Go download all the things that I need to install that. Well, so it's crazy. But when I was setting up DataDude on my box for the first time, right. I had to first install the core thing. And then I had SQL Server 2008, and I pointed it, and it didn't do 2008 at all. No. Then I had to find the service pack. So I get Entity Framework, and then I had to find the GDR build. Yeah, this is what I'm talking I mean, about. You know, I work at Microsoft. We produce these technologies. And, you know, if it but, wasn't for me, I aming the people who yeah, were on so the team building it. here's an idea for Microsoft. Hello, listen. Just point us, give us a little yeah. command line, a tool uh, in Visual Studio that'll go to some sort of feed, link to all of the latest tools that I need to do this now, well, so and one of the them. one of the ways that we've really done a good job is the, is that web installer, right? The web platform installer, right? Right. You can just go one place and install, and boom, you got what you need to build web apps. Yeah, and I really like everything. I'd really like to see that in our world, in the data world too. I think that's fabulous. But even so, uh, I was it was it drove me crazy. I installed Visual Studio two thousand and eight. I went to Windows Update, and it didn't say, "Hey, you need the service pack for Visual Studio." No, no, it, it's constantly updating right virus definitions. I never yeah, get exactly. viruses on my box. Maybe that's why. <laughs> Maybe, that's Maybe that's why I don't get. My, but whatever, <laughs> it's constantly downloading those. But it's not saying, "Hey, you know, uh, there's a service back for studio." Yeah, yeah, I mean that's crazy. But, or the or the GDR or just whatever. All these add-ons that I need to have. Yeah, there's, there's so many different ways of describing a slightly updated version of the same thing. Yeah. And the problem is when you go to the web and search for a current version of anything, well, they're oh, all yeah. current versions yeah. when they were posted. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. the engines don't do that very well. Yeah, do they, they don't handle Hey, that that's problem. an app for Bing. Huh? Oh. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I think the other thing that's been a big deal for folks is that the whole WPF stack, you know, when, when, when the GUI came out, Microsoft put out a book and said, here's how you're supposed to build. Your You're talking about the, the, the UI style guide. Yeah, right? the UI so, style yeah. guide, yep. right? And we, and we did that before for um, Win32, and we've yeah. been doing it for a while. Yeah. And, and with WPF, we really haven't done that. 
they sort of unbounded the whole thing and said, go nuts. Well, so it's, it's actually um, pretty interesting. Um, I knew, uh, you know, when I was uh, on the Longhorn Dev Center, I knew we were de- developing such a thing. Yeah. And I know I shipped drafts, and I don't know if we ever shipped the final version or whatever. But the interesting thing about WPF is, um, you know, remember when we first got fonts, right? And everyone was sending memos that looked like ransom notes, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> right? Wait, wait. And, People lost their minds. I know. I mean, it's – and, you know uh, – <laughs> My definition of a good tool is how easy it is to do use it badly. Yeah, to abuse. Right. It. So Visual Basic is a fabulous. tool. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> you Absolutely. Could yourself with it, no problem. Yes, and you know all those fonts, and when we got colors and <laughs> look, color I can put a red and, circle right yeah, here. And that's it's, yeah, it's crazy. So WPF is like that all over again, right? Yeah. You know, we're out of the box of of Windows Forms or when Win thirty two, where it was just unreasonable to do these animations and these whatnot. And you know, I was watching. Um, uh, uh, Lu- Lucas talked today, and he oh, was yes. in Blend, and he he built this fun little app that had a, a button and a text box in it, and he dropped in a little bit of code, and then he started he pressed the play button right, and this this um, button and text box were like dropping like gravity, but he could still type in them, right, and then he <laughs> right yeah totally he could still click the button and it was drop as it dropped and then it bounced on the bottom right. <laughs> And then he grabbed the text box and he flipped it around like it was on a string and it was off the screen. It was just gone. I'm like, that is so cool. I can't However. even tell you. No practical use, whatever. But the beauty is, is that WPF just allows all of this crazy stuff. So the, the, I think the, the uh, basic problem with this embarrassment of technology for engineers is that they find themselves without constraints. Right. Right. Unless engineers are constrained, they're not solving a problem, right? If they can do anything, they're, they're, they're thrash, right? They don't know what to do. Whereas yeah. I have the opposite problem though, I'm, because of the artist in me, you know, yeah, the, right the designer, side. that's what makes WPF so fabulous for the designer. When they, when they lose all their constraints, that's when truly amazing things happens, right? Engineers, the magic of an engineer is to take all of these constraints and solve impossible problems, right? right? That's what we love. The magic of designers is to be able to remove all the constraints and watch the crazy stuff they built. Right, because even even some of that stuff, you know, it, it's going to end up being useful in the long run. I mean, he's who obviously who he's obviously just figuring out the tools and showing a demo of how to use it. Oh, he was it was just for but, fun, right? Yeah, I mean, but that but knowing that, you know, that's another tool in his toolbox that he can yeah. use for when really he needs cool bouncing stuff. Bouncing, typing exactly. it, text boxes, he's all set. Or bouncing anything. Yeah. I get all these visions of forms where you press the button and the whole form collapses on itself. Well, there you go. Practical joke. We'll do an April 1st. Uh... <laughs> Actually, I really love the um, the uh, collapse button. And the whole thing just goes... <laughs> <laughs> the big pile of text boxes at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> a big glass shattering sound. <laughs> so, yeah, so we used to, I used to work in the telephony industry, and um, we, uh, we built one application that was um, a combination of um, Bible prayer line and sex line. And the way we did it was... <laughs> this is a gag. No, 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 no. This, this was gag. real. This was real. And the way we figured it out is we had a screen pop on the operators, the same set of operators that did both, by the way. <laughs> oh, my God. And we had um, the, the, uh, the what number was dial. That was, we popped that up on the screen, and right. that's whether they knew. Oh, that program better be yes. damn accurate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we always wondered who the hell, who would be more upset if they got the wrong one, right? <laughs> <laughs>
And I forget how that relates to the point, but oh, I'm man. sure it did in some way. I just like telling that story. So, so, uh, so to the answer to answer the question is software development too complex? You say shut up and write your code. Well, so I mean, <laughs> I, I actually I honestly look at it like the economy. Right, mm-hmm. the economy goes through periods of expansion where we try all kinds of crazy stuff and we invest our money in things that might work or might not work, and and we put all kinds of people doing stuff that just never amounts to anything. Likewise, in the software world, we have been recently expanding, and probably because of the boom in the economy, actually. We've been expanding all these technologies and all these languages that duplicate each other and overlap each other, and we're kind of trying all kinds of new things and seeing what sticks and seeing what we like. And I know for a fact in my data space, we're now going through a period of contraction where we're saying, you know what? We don't need link to SQL and link to entities. Right? right, we'll pick the best one and make sure it has the, the features of both. And of course, we'll support the other one until the end of time. Right. But we'll really, you know, we'll say when you're doing it, here's what you do, and we'll we'll collapse these technologies and and make you know a kind of a simpler path through that world, creating a roadmap more exactly than, than the narrowing of scope. Which that's is right, an interesting and thought. That's right, and and we make sure they have the capabilities they need and the flexibility they need, but we'll make it simpler and and we'll put them on the path. the The pit of success is the kind of thing that we falling say into the pit of success. Pit of success, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, man, the hour has just flown by. So, is there any last minute thing you want to throw out there, or something? Tell us what you're working on now, uh, to the extent that you can. So, um, you know, I, I I've been um, very open with the Oslo thing. We've been very transparent as a team. Um, the PDC will have more stuff to say, and I think um, things will be much clearer um, for Oslo ongoing. But the thing I want to say is um, uh, I was a doubter of Windows 7. Right? Really? I installed Windows 7 really? on, on a couple of computers and the beta. I'm like, I don't get it. Hmm. It seems to be arbitrarily different for no benefit. I didn't notice it was any faster. I didn't notice it was any stabler. I didn't notice it was any better. And then I, I, uh, I, when the RTM came out internally, because we got a little earlier than right. most folks, and <laughs> leave it to engineers, even though it was on a protected chair that was only available to some, right? When those golden bits were available, we found a way. Everybody got them. <laughs> yep. Inside yeah. and out. Yeah. Oh, well, I, don't, I, I didn't give them to anyone outside, but you know, I hooked some friends of mine up inside. But um, uh, I installed it on my, you know, my normal work, everyday box, and it, it was beautiful. It was such – it was so well, – it's just, it's just better in a hundred ways, a hundred tiny yeah. little ways. I'm, I'm using it on my laptop now with an SSD drive, Oh, and it is be, so oh. sweet. Yeah, you know what? I'm just too cheap. I want the like two, <laughs> 200, 256 meg SSD. Yeah. Those are like in the six, $700 range yeah. right now. Yeah, that's and, what I have. Yeah, and I so totally want that. I totally do. <laughs> but the other, the, here's the problem. Now, now I'm running 64-bit Vista everywhere, and that's great, except I swear it uses more memory. Maybe it's because I'm also running, you know, Dev 10 beta whatever, and and Office 2010 beta whatever, and but I'm constantly I have a, my machine maxed out at four gig, and I'm constantly hitting the top. Yeah, and I'm like, talk about an embarrassment of riches, right? I, only four gigs. Isn't a gig like fifty bucks now? Well, it doesn't matter. I'm maxed out on my yeah, on my laptop. Oh, I can't laptop. put any more. Yeah. So I had to go to my boss and say, I need a new laptop. I can only put four gigabytes of RAM in mine. <laughs> <laughs> Poor little rich boy, right? I can I mean, only run seven virtual machines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's crazy. So I feel the pain. I really do need a bigger box with more more RAM. I really do. 
Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Chris, thanks for another great .NET Rocks. It was my pleasure as always. Thank from you. episode 10 to almost episode 500. What, what episode number is this, by the way? This is 490-something, I think. Wow. Something like that. We'll have to figure it out. Stick it in there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van.